everybody. It's LOI Central with Dan and Johnny. So I kid you not, St. Patrick's said that they played 18, 110, drew 5, goal difference 13. Shamrock Rovers played 18, 110, drew 5, goal difference 13. Sligo Rovers played 18, 110, drew 5, goal difference 13. Welcome to LOI Central. What a crazy, crazy season we've had in association with futureticketing.ie. This show is going to be about John Mountney and Conor O'Grady. So John Mountney is going to talk about life at St. Pat's, what life was like at Dundalk, a bit of Chris Shields. And uh, we're also going to hear from Conor O'Grady about youth development at Sligo Rovers. One of the three teams that uh, all begin with S and all have identical records at the top of the Premier Division table. And if you bring in Bohemians, they're eight points behind Dan McDonald. And if you bring in a resurgent Dundalk... Um, well, everything is just insane. I mean, I can't make head or tail of things anymore. Can you? You can bring everyone at this stage. It's sort of mad to dock with 11 points behind um, after all the, all the chaos. But um, yeah, like it's, it's, uh, it's great. Yeah, it's, it's good, good to be with you as ever, Johnny. Um, and yeah, getting your vaccine today. Getting the vaccine. Yeah, I've had that, uh, I've had that song Jolene in my head all morning, except Jolene. obviously with, with Jolene. vaccine. Jolene. <laughs> vaccine, obviously. But I mean, I, I just I haven't just had Jolene in my head, like independent of your previous point. I've just been like putting vaccine into it. So um, you should you should yeah. sing that to the vaccinator, like <laughs> vaccine, vaccine. <laughs> uh, I'm sure he or she would love I'm sure, it. I, I'm sure they. I'm sure after like with the, the sort of thousands of people are going vaccine. through, I'm sure. I'm sure that would really lighten them up. I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure. Wordplay on vaccine is something they haven't encountered before. And as as they get to like, they're getting to the thirty five to thirty nines now. So like you know, uh, they've you know they've they've, they've they've been through like a lot of a lot of people. You must be due it soon. Hey, what's your story? Or yeah, I've registered, but I haven't um haven't been told about getting it yet. Anyway, so uh, a bit of postcode lottery, I think, with some of it. Like I'm in yeah. the, the the helix, and it seems like. Um, You're in the Helix, so yeah, yeah. That, yeah. That bring back a few memories. Of the I've never, I've never been to the Helix. I've never yeah. been to the Helix. I don't think you know. Um, so it's, it's like yeah. UCD boy goes to DCU. You know, I, I was in the League of Ireland um, society in DCU. Like we were, we were considered worse than nerds. Like you know, we were this fringe <laughs> of fringes. You know, <laughs> going to like organized games to watch Home Farm and stuff like that. <laughs> Your name is Millhouse too. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was the only League of Ireland fan. Um, but uh, different anyway, times, Johnny. Let's, let's get time. back. Now, let's, let's cut to the chase. Oh, the, the, League away, uh, DC, the League of Ireland Society in DC. The League of Ireland Society in DCU now is like obviously some of the, the top jocks on campus. I, I would assume. You know, I'm not sure about that. Jocks. <laughs> so it's not an episode of Saved by the Bell here, but anyway. But, um, um, but yeah. it's going to be the show that a lot of people in the vaccine queue today would remember. Course. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Screech and the lads. generational generational peers. But anyway, pizza. Yes, we have to give away pizza later on. What's going on, Dan? What's Star going pizza. on? Shamrock Rovers last eight games, they've only beaten Watford and Longford, and they are stumbling to a situation where they're going to Bratislava, a game they were going to obviously preview as well. Because I think our podcast is going to be after the Rovers game next week in Bratislava, which is a 5:30 kickoff as well, hopefully enough. Um their form has no... I, I'm putting it down to Joey O'Brien, but I don't know what it's down to. Well, the, 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 you've contradicted yourself in that statement. Is, is it down to Joey O'Brien or not? Yeah, I have contradicted myself. If, I'm, if, to put, if you're to put it, one, your finger on one thing, I think Joey O'Brien's loss, allied with that of Dylan Watts, and obviously the, you know a bit of a situation at left back, but I mean, they still have scales. I think Joey O'Brien might be their biggest loss. I think they're missing him at the back. They gave away a terrible, terrible 
chance at the death against Drogheda, which they really should have lost the game against Drogheda at home after two terribly controversial penalty decisions. Um, I, I can't. I honestly cannot believe Rovers' form over the last eight games how they've collapsed into this. Yeah, um, I, I don't know. I don't know if you can. I, listen, I take your point about Joey O'Brien, and certainly, you know, in terms of maybe the Derby game and certain matches. But I don't, I'm not sure if Joey O'Brien explains why. You know, the, the sort of the top team in the country, the league champions. You know, with the test pilot event games, like dropping points at home to Finn Harps and points at home to draw. Mm. Both of them are decent, you know, decent enough side. Like, I'm not being disrespectful to them. But, like, really, you know, um, I'd put it down to Jack Byrne, to be honest. And, uh, and you know, and Aaron McInniff. I think Jack Byrne in particular, where Jack Byrne was exceptional, like, Jack Byrne is exceptional all the time, you know. But actually, I suppose, like, dog fans would say at times in some of their games, you know, he wasn't as effective. Uh, and, and some of the Bowes games, although obviously in his last, you know, uh, I think that changed obviously in his last his last year. But I think where like th- there was games, I'm sure where you were at those games where Shamrock Rovers would win comfortably at home and it would be so easy for Jack. And it was actually a frustration of people that would watch him that, yeah, he would drop too deep to get on the ball. You know, yeah. like, you know, he'd be dropping like an astral game where he just wanted to yeah. play a bit. But but like he he probably did it against the lesser teams because it was easy for him to do it, you know, and and like his his ability to just like pick passes and and you know people running off. And McInniff, of course, was exceptional too, both of them. I think Jack in particular, in terms of those say run of the mill games, you know, I think he just had the ability to do one or two things in those matches that put the result beyond doubt. And listen, with great teams, like no matter how good they are, like if you lose a really like uh, in, in League of Ireland terms, like Jack was as good as it gets, you know, like he is sort of the uh, a, a world class League of Ireland player, as if that yeah, makes any agree, sense. Yeah. It doesn't. And I think if you lose someone like that, um, it's very, very hard to replace them. Like it, it, it's incredibly right. hard to replace them. And and they 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 have like you know they've had injury issues, and there's no doubt that Watts been missed. I think you know Watts has obviously been a massive loss. Um, and and they have this issue like they've had their like like man and Graham Burke haven't really been injured although Graham Burke has obviously been hobbling along but I mean they've been available and there's just times in games where it's like okay I think teams are not particularly afraid of them if they think that they can sort of defend with a degree of like mm. discipline and and keep rovers ahead of them and also you see a lot of teams uh, going with the talent and playing two strikers against them as well. And trying to as as Drada did it the, last week and trying to engage their back three and, and then so it's it's a bit harder for the the back three to like step up and join the attack like they do when they're you know when they when they have the ball and they're on top so there's a few a few factors there um, and they're just not and but more than anything they're just not purring you know they're just they're not no but also if you foot. if you actually look at their games in isolation the games that even when up until the point of the Pats win at in Inchicore they actually weren't even playing that well. They had a load of late goals. Like so we everyone was saying, Oh, they haven't got going yet. This is going to be a cakewalk. They still haven't got going. They've just stopped winning games. And uh what's interesting as well is that we're going to talk to John Mowney about some of the managers. And you mentioned Tim Clancy playing two up top and um, one of the veteran managers in the league, Liam Buckley. Um Johnny Kenny, one of the you know, young starters in the league, scoring a hat trick. Like, who would have predicted this? It was like Bows are now suddenly they're five points behind if they win this game. Now we've a proper title race. They get absolutely hockeyed. Like this is just crazy stuff. And Johnny Kenny getting a hat trick. Um, Jordan Gibson scoring obviously. Well, he's, 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 had, he's had he's had the hat trick taken. Oh, has he? He's had the he's had the hat trick taken off him. I think by the uh, 
the JBS goals panel or whatever the League of Ireland version of it is. I think the second one might be down on the official page. It's down as an own goal. We Very are recording this on Wednesday as well. We expect signings to probably have happened by the time you listen to this across the league as deadline day looms and so on and so forth. Well, deadline day is, is no, it's reopening. A reopen, to, sorry. So, like you know, there's there's obviously Derry have signed Jamie McGonagall this week, and there's a few few other things going on. But but yeah, like listen, I think that was a statement performance because I think from the Sligo Rovers' perspective. Like they went into the break on top, and then they come out of it and they lose a couple of matches, and you're thinking, mm, is this is this going to fall? Could this fall flat here? But as you said, like it is a stranger because Bowes weren't really that bad, but but they were just clinically mm. punished at every attack. Now, like Johnny Kenny was exceptional, and Joseph and Dolan commentary was uh, enjoying his performance and enjoying Jordan Gibson's assist work. The Vries's goal was excellent as well. I mean, we like we think we had one yeah. Vries on last year. Yeah. He's always looked a very good player. But for whatever reason, didn't he say like his been... girlfriend would go wherever he went? Sort of, it was proper love. Yeah, it was. It was like it was the most uh, sincere guest we possibly had on on the show. Certainly more sin- sincere than either of us. Mm. And um, he like, but he he's always shown great quality. I think when he's played. Um, but I, I don't know. Has there been? Has he just at times? Has he not been fit? Or like you know, I I, don't, I know he was. He probably. Had to do a bit of travel and and, and quarantine. I, I don't know what I'm actually I'm speculating, I have no idea. But like he suddenly like you have him, and then they have a situation where there's like you know Parks and Figuera, and they're able to like do that without them starting last week. So um are they, they still contenders? A, they still have quite a small squad. Well, I think that they probably will strengthen in this window. Um, but my that I think the obvious concern with them would be just the size of their size of their squad, you know. And very probably be quite reliant even on Bulger and Morahan, although David Cawley coming back would help. But it feels like they just need a couple of bodies more realistically um, to the challenge. And I'd probably have some attention for some of their, for their young lads too, although I, I can't, you know, I don't think, you know, I think Johnny Kenny's naturally attracted a lot of interest, but yeah, I don't know if there's a sense that Anton's going to happen there initially. And I'm not sure if that would be the best advice either. I think he's probably going to benefit a lot from a full season at home here. Um, but yeah, I mean, they are, they are, listen, it's a halfway point and nobody around them is showing invincible consistency. So, like, wh- why would you not have a discussion about them being t- challengers, really? And, and I, I'm actually going against my natural instincts here. I would, I would generally be very, nah, it's, it's um, they'll fall away and, and you know, the, 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 the sort of the, the best resource squad will come to the fore. And that may, listen, Chamber Grovers may well win it, but I'm just very conscious of the fact that they are starting into Europe now, which can... Hopefully it goes well for them, but obviously that can be quite draining. As the point, like we're going to hear from John Mountney now, um, but we also were prior to that. We, we did speak to Stephen O'Donnell. We're actually going to play any, but it was sort of a group press conference, and uh, we, we'll reference it. I think with John, like he wasn't playing ball, and your question about the dictators coming back in. Yeah, a, what a, what a, a, what a, what a like what G, a ball. G, well, you know, people, people aren't aware of it, but it's a, like a GA manager answer saying that you know he's got other things to be concerned about, whatever. But I was asking Stephen O'Donnell about well. You know, uh, you're not in Europe, and the other clubs are. And um, he did admit, like, it'll give them a bit of structure about their season see, in the coming just... weeks. But the others may not have. But let me finish my point. Sorry, that that um, the only thing is, he did point out that for for some clubs, and I, I've seen this in the past with Dundalk actually, that going into European competition, it almost raises their levels because they they come up against decent players and it yeah. stirs them. And I sort of wonder, even for Shamrock Rovers. Like you, you still should have like you still should be the league winners, you know, in terms of for a lot of reasons. I kind of wonder even if 
well, Bratislava it, games will, will aid them in terms of sort of I, I get them you, yeah. life in some shape or form. And you know? I, I actually, thought, strangely enough, I fully expect Shamrock Rovers to leave their league form um, behind them in Bratislava. I think a couple of players coming back and I think they're kind of made for that stage. But just briefly before we get to John Mowney, the thing is, like, all of these teams around sort of from um, mid-table up and even some of the teams sort of hovering around the bottom of mid-table, they're all taking points off Shamrock Rovers. They're all taking points off the good teams. So th- there, there are so many twists and turns there. You look at the first division, there's no way Shells can can blow it looking at um, the, the, the fact that they're just beating everyone. That's not happening in the Premier Division. Teams are taking points of each other. And you have a resurgent Dundalk as well who plays Shamrock Rovers on Friday. Um, so yeah. a, lo- a lot... a lot It's, it's a great game, yeah. It's, but it's, the one thing, I mean, Shamrock Rovers have the Tao coming in this week. Mm. It's going to be fascinating to see... Uh, where he slots in and how he helps them. Um, and yeah, been Bows and Pats on, on, on Friday, which is a, a hell of a good fixture. And I think on that team, um, let's let's hear from John Mountney, who's uh, obviously made the winter move from Dundalk to St. Pats. And um, thanks to, to Jamie at St. Pats who uh, facilitated this chat we had with John. It was yesterday, it was Tuesday when we spoke. John, how are you keeping? Johnny, what's the crack? Tell me this, was there any concern when you went in to play under a manager that was effectively a mate of yours, a mate of Robbie Benson, like a teammate? When you look at Gareth Southgate, when he transitioned to the middles or a manager, it didn't kind of really work out. Was there any concern that it's going to be difficult to make that change in terms of going from friend to gaffer, I suppose? No, I, I can understand why, why, you know, looking from the outside in, people might think that or, or expect that, but... To be honest, Johnny, um, you know, having, like you said, having known him, you know, I, I know how professional and how dedicated he is. So uh, it was a very quick transition to become friends to manager, you know, and, and our relationship changed straight away. And, and like I seen with the other lads there, Robbie and Paddy, it was no different to me. He's uh, he's our manager now and, and he's very professional about that. And, you know, there's, there's no difference. You wouldn't know the difference between if you come in and, and didn't know any difference who was friends before or who he knew before because... You know, he treats everyone the same um, and he was he was able to separate that very quick. And it seems like the Pats lads have bought into it, the Pats lads that were there <clears> and the other signings he made, I suppose. Yeah, they bought into him. Like, even we, you know, I was came in to his uh, second year, but you could see that everyone respects his, you know, he's a, he's a football brain and, and he's always honest. So you can see that everyone has that respect for him and, and wants to work for him because... Uh, you know, he's that sort of as a character and even the staff he has with him, you know, Adam Matthews is there and Shawnee and Padge and the goalkeeping coach, PJ, like, and our fitness coach, of course, and the physios, there's real togetherness and good understanding between players and staff, you know, there's that sort of respect and obviously a, a laugh here and there as well. So there's, there's a real, there's a real good bond in there. Steve, you told this story a couple of times earlier in the season. I think Chris Forrester told it as well about you being put on the spot in front of the whole dressing room and being asked your opinion of St. Pat's, which I'm guessing the fact he are a bit of mates, he was able to really put you on the spot in, in that scenario. But um, can you tell us about that? And I think you gave some sort of a, an, an honest enough answer in terms of your assessment. Yeah, well, that's another way of putting it put on the spot because <laughs> what are you meant to say when you're asked a question like that in front of a group of lads? But um, no, he was, <laughs> look, everyone knows the character. Um, our manager Stephen is and you know he, he put it out there of course you know what was the perception from the outside looking in and you know I was like you said I was put on the spot there was there was never a winning situation what I was going to say but of course I just hmm. said what what the truth was you know what 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 our side was from the season before being at the dock what was our view in so that's um that's the answer I, I give you know whether 
whether it was liked or not, it was um, it was the truth at the time. And do you feel that that perception is changing now? I mean, like, I think, you know, for example, when Pats lost to Rovers earlier this season, Danny Mandrew's last-minute goal, some people probably would have thought, oh, that's going to be a knock to them now. But how you've responded to maybe a couple of disappointments, is that part of, you know, making that step forward, that showing that there's maybe a bit of steel in this group, which I think the suggestion was maybe from outside, you weren't sure about Pats and under a couple of headings before. Yeah, well, firstly, like, you know, my comment was no disrespect in the sense to individuals and that because, you know, I knew I knew early enough when I got in there that there's good characters in there and there's, there's lads that are ambitious and, and want to achieve things. So, um, like you said, that that part when you have setbacks, that's that, that says the most about you. You know, it's, it's easy for everyone when your tails are up to perform and, and things to go well. So, it's when you get setbacks like that or like like that last minute goals or decisions not going your way, it's, it's always about how you respond and and you know that's that's something we've done so far this season you know and that's been really pushed in from the management above that you know it's how we respond and he's touched on we're not judged on our, on our results it's our performances so he'll always be honest with us and, and once we give everything and perform to what we can um, the results are relevant because you know more times not you'll you'll uh, you'll get your rewards once you put it in are you sort of surprised by how this season has, has panned out i mean Listen, your players, you're in your bubble, and and it's all it's the likes of us making predictions, and you can't you can't account for that. But but all the years with Dundalk, your title races were very much two horse races. It was always Dundalk and Cork, or maybe you know there was a Dundalk and Rovers thing. With the exception of last year, you know it was you were always involved in a two horse race. Whereas this is a really sort of wide open season. It feels like three teams level, and ball was not too far off the pace. So you play on Friday, like it's. It's, it's sort of refreshing, but I don't know. Has it surprised you it's turned out this way? Um, yes and no, because I think, you know, Rovers won, won the league last year after the, it was the 18-game league. Um, and, of course, they're the team that have set the standards now the last year. So, uh, you know, everyone's expecting Rovers to run away with it. But, of course, other teams around have improved and strengthened. And, you know, I think, I think it's, you know, there's that competitiveness that, I don't know if you might have felt it a few years ago, whereas, you know, you, you'd always fancy certain teams in games, whereas this year it's great to see. It's so unpredictable. Every time you look on a Friday night's fixtures, you think you can't predict who's going to win which game. It's that competitive, which is which is where I suppose you want the league to be because you want people keeping interest as it's going in, thinking this is still a three, four-horse race. and You know, European spots, league titles, relegation battles, everything is still um, still in play. So, it's, 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 you know, whether you can predict it or not, it's a great thing for the league and, and hopefully it'll remain that way. I suppose there's a suspicion for some people that the standard has dropped in the league since the heavy days maybe of three or four years ago. Um, and maybe you need to see Europe, I suppose, to kind of judge that a bit more. But what's your take on it? Because is it a bit hard to judge as well when you have so many games at this stage behind closed doors where maybe the intensity isn't quite the same? Yeah, that's the, that's the question, Johnny, is because how... If people are saying that, how can you judge it when there's no fans? You know, mm. I, I used to always say a lot of our League of Ireland games didn't get enough, didn't get enough credit they deserve because imagine if you had played them games over the years ago between Cork and Dock or whether it's Rovers and Bowes or whoever was. Imagine playing that in a, in a packed stadium in Aviva in front of 40,000, 50,000. I, I bet you people watching would think the standard's a lot higher than it is playing in a, in a ground that, you know, the grass is a bit long and there's only two, 300 people. So, it's hard to get to, to balance out where the standards are at, but I think, like you said, Europe Europe is always a good place to, to judge um, 
but I definitely think there's if you look at the overall league now, there's a lot more teams that are, are playing football. You know, there's very little. Most teams want to get the ball down and, and have a style of play, whereas before you might have only ever had two or three. So um, football wise, it's 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 definitely more enjoyable. There's more football played, but it's hard to say with uh, without the crowds. You know, like like that, the standard can drop. You see, standards can raise them when you have noise and you have crowds in. You know, it, it gives it an extra push. Do you feel as well with all these young coaches that it's like um, it's an interesting time for the league because, like, when you think, we'll say if you if you think of Stephen O'Donnell's wedding, for example, he was there. Vinnie Perth was there. Tim Clancy was there. Rory Higgins was there. Um, they're all four coaches that you know in the in the Premier Division teams that are all we'll say in the top six or so on, and they're all hungry for success individually as well. I suppose. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's good to see and you know, I think that like you look at the, the age of, of the managers in the league, there's younger managers have really been given a chance and you see it across across the world, not just Europe, that there is a lot of young managers given their chance and it's a lot more tactical now and a lot more information. Like I look back when I was a young fella coming up, moving up to Dundalk at 18 and if you asked me, you know, tactically anything, I wouldn't have been able to have a clue. Do you know, just watching mm-hmm. the football as a supporter not really taking in, in any information or understanding anything. And then, um, you know, I look at the young lads now that were my age, you know, when I was 18, breaking into a team at St. Pat's and their game understanding is incredible. You know, when you look back to what it was, lads, like myself, 10 years ago. So um, there's definitely a lot more information involved now and tactically. So it definitely has been brought forward. Now, whether you might think it's, is there too much information or, or where's the balance? But it's definitely in a good place in, de- in terms of players, Understanding, understanding the game more, and um, just just finally, uh, you know, I, I was actually talking about you recently. I remember when, um, I think the last time maybe I was at a game as a Galway United fan in Oriel was a cup game that we lost, but we were in that horrible away section, and you took a strike, um, that was right in front of us, and it absolutely rattled the woodwork. And I said, I didn't actually realize John Mowney could strike the ball like that. And it's something that I've kind of wondered at watching you throughout your career. What is your best position? And have you found as an attack and right back your best position? Or were you always a central midfielder at heart? Or, or do you still not know the answer yourself? I don't know, Johnny. You're better off flipping a coin there and I'll just go whatever I said because <laughs> I don't know myself. Like uh, Coming up to Stephen, Stephen Kenny or Sean McCaffrey 2012, it was always midfield as, as, as a young lad. But um, when I look back now, like talking about understanding of the game, I didn't massively understand my role as a midfielder. Do you know, it was just sort of follow the ball a lot. Do you know, as you get older or you were coached properly, it was, you know, finding positions and, and coming away from the ball and it's stuff like that. But I'm definitely enjoying the role of playing in right back. You know, you, you, have, you see the whole picture in front of you and depending what formation you're up against, you know, there's sometimes you mightn't get much time on the ball in certain areas and in other games you might have the whole, the whole wing to yourself. So, um, yeah, I'm really enjoying that role and and uh, trying to embrace that side of us. The, the defending side, obviously, is is the one I really had to work hard on and sort of buckle down on because that wasn't, that wasn't um, something that came naturally to me, you know, actually being in a one-on-one situation or, or defending crosses. So that's all, all been new to me this year. But like that, I've, I've embraced that and I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying the, you know, getting a buzz out of the defensive side of it as well as attacking. It's nearly 50-50 attacking defending now as a fullback. Yeah, it's it's there is, isn't it? You look at you look at the Premier League and you look at like so Wan Bissaka, who's a natural, brilliant defender, and then you see um you know you see other fullbacks then that are are basically wingers playing fullback, 
you know, where they don't get, you know, exploited because they're not in one, they're not defending, they have all the ball. So it's definitely a position you'll see it's a lot more attacking in this in this era now. So um, you know, like that, uh, I'd be happy in a game if it was 50-50, you know, if, if if you get the chance to get forward in a game, it's it's great. And then of course buckling down on the defensive side. So so John, you're you're still living on Dundalk, right? Uh, even though you've you've moved on uh, to Pats. Yeah, still living uh, still living in town, uh, Dundalk Town Centre, Dan, and just travel up and down. So you, now, I'm just thinking, you, did, you didn't get back from Waterford on Friday night in, ta- in time to meet Chris Shields outside the ground <laughs> with everyone else, no? Because it, it seems like one of the most uh, epic League of Ireland farewells of all time. And like, because it feels like for like seven or eight years, you and Chris have been always in the same you know, the same interview question about you were the, you were the survivors for 2012. I mean, he did get a pretty good send-off, didn't he? And, and on Friday, it was sort of spectacular. Yeah, I uh, I didn't get back to the dog that night. I stayed in, in Dublin. We had a cool down the next day, but I'm sure if I went back to the dog the next day, even at lunchtime, I probably would have still seen Chris Shields hanging around somewhere milking it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, it was a great send-off, yeah. And, um, nine and a half years, a great character and great servant, so... It was brilliant to see him get the send off, and and to be fair to the Dundalk fans, they're they're loyal and, and committed too. So you know they all gathered outside the the club in their numbers to, to give him a proper send off with the flares and headlocks and a few cans of harp floating around. So it was uh, it was it was nice for. Him. And it is, it is the one sad thing about COVID, isn't it? That a couple of you who left last year, you didn't get to do the the typical goodbye. I know, listen, I know it's football, it's life. Like you know, you move on, and that's that's the way it goes. But. Like, it's, you don't always get to leave a football club in those terms, you know. It was a bit sad that a couple of you had to leave in a very quiet way last year. Yeah, well, obviously, you know, the way it happened last year, um, you know, it was a bit up. It was all very much up in the air, the whole um, contract situation. So, yeah. you know, it was never going to be that way, lads, getting um, getting the send-off. Maybe some of them some of them deserve. But, and of course, going to different clubs, it's, it's hard then for a club to give a send-off to a, a player who's officially arrived. So, yeah. You have to understand the circumstances. But for Chris and his situation, announcing that uh, he's, he's, he's signing up north, um, it was the perfect way for him to go out. And I think the two of you, like, did you always get a buzz from the fact that you'd been there since 2012? You were there the year. I know it kept coming up all the time, but it, it probably added a bit more to your story that you'd seen the bad times as well as the good times up there. Of course we did, yeah. And like you said, we were there. I remember the first year we were nearly holding off players from fighting fans the first year it was that sort of <laughs> and Chris Shields was one of those people right Chris Shields was one of those people that was the thing this year, that's not for me to say but yeah there was a few <laughs> situations he had the first year but um, no it quickly changed once once Stephen Kenny came in and, and like you said we've seen the good the bad and the and the ugly and um, all great experiences but um, you know Chris I mean we used to always have a slag about who'd hang on for their testimonial and <laughs> Oh, that sort of carry on, but um, he he didn't get it in the end, so I'm happy enough about that. Yeah, well, he says he wants a statue in Dundalk, but Stephen Kenny always said you were getting a statue in Bahola, so we'll see which one of them gets made first, right? <laughs> That's got to be the challenge now between the two of you, you know? But um, yeah, you're still living locally, so you still probably hear from the Dundalk fans walking around now and again anyway, I guess, do you? Do you still get a bit I- of that? I do, yeah. You're probably looking and seeing me with the black eye I have here. I assure you that's not from living in Dundalk. <laughs> it wasn't um, in Prime do, yeah. Charities or something or whatever the place he was referring to. <laughs> Stop. You had to drag him out of that place. <laughs> um, but no, yeah, you bump into a lot of them and they're all football fans and it's great to actually see a lot of them, you know, that uh, that 
still follow Stephen O'Donnell because of what he done for the club and still want him to do well. And then obviously there's myself, Robbie Benson and Paddy Barrett that, that spent time there as well that, you know, a lot of them are wishing us well, so which is which is always great to see, you know, the, that they support that side of it too. Yeah, because the last question, I mean, like it is five years this summer since the Bate game and all of that. And it does appear, feel like that group, that 2016 one in particular, like you're always going to have that bond, even if you've gone to different places and different parts and different clubs. Like, I suppose it's something you're always going to take with you, isn't it? Being part of those type of adventures. Of course, Dan. Yeah, like you think of it this way. If, you know, it's all of, I suppose you talk to us all and it's all the highlight of our career, you know, and we were able to share. That's the special thing about being involved in a team sport. Um, you get to share their memories and their moments together. So that's something we'll always, you know, we can, down the line, we can meet up for have a few pints and plenty of slagging and, and, and reminisce over, over nights like that because that really was a, a special one. But but overall, you, you know, this, the teams are again in Europe and, you know, you, you want to see as many Irish teams getting through Europe and, and you know, as many teams sort of having that experience and, and playing at that level because really is, um, it really is a brilliant experience. Yeah, and you can make some new memories with Pats, of course, as well. That's the thing. It's like, it's actually probably weird for you to not have a European summer. This is your first time in seven, eight years not having that. So you want to be, you want to be back to that as soon as possible, I guess. Yeah, which watching the watching the draw and hearing the draw, obviously every player that plays football wants to be involved in that. And, and I'm sure everyone will openly say that wants to play the European level. And like that now, I'm at a new club. And, and um, of course, this club and the manager and, and the players, there's ambitions here. So, you know, I'd like to think there's a lot more of that that I can achieve myself uh, involved in, in a club like St. Pat's. I know he's kind of, he, he manages the message of Pat's like it's like North Korea, the way these press conferences, no players are available after this. There'll be no other interviews. So are you going to deviate from what he said and say, you want fans back? This is just too much now. We need fans. We need to get back to normal. Ah, yeah, of course, everyone's, uh, we all want the fans back. And I think he said there we had 200 in, in Chicago and, that was our first time playing in front of fans for a lot of even lads that were there since last year. So yeah. even to have the few, it was incredible. And you always have Brian Kerr there as well, who's a big a big supporter. It's deadly having him and hearing his voice. Um, even if he does, does still call me Mountain Eye, I'll, I still like him. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's great having the fans. And, and, and look, the way things are going, you'd like to think it won't be long before we can start filling it up more and more. And, and that's what you want. You want to come into the end of the season. You want to be a few teams competing either side of the table and, and, and fans coming in and, and make a real buzz about it because um, you know, it's a great league and, and there's a good standard. So um, you really want it to be, to, be, um, to be backed. Listen, John, that's great. Really appreciate your time. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll, we'll have some statue update news by the next time we have you on at some stage and see what happens. All right. Thanks, John Mountainoy. <laughs> <laughs> Nice one, Dan, Johnny. See you later. Thank you. Cheers. John Mountney is reveling in life at St. Pat's, but as he mentioned, Dan, he's actually never really played in front of a crowd um, for St. Pat's. And I, I'm so, I'm absolutely so fed up of, of, of just the way, like, we're going along with this now when you see all the crowds of these European games and how slow things are. Obviously, it's been a frustrating uh, week if you're a restaurant owner or whatever, but... Bloody hell, like Galway's uh, official uh, kind of official capacity in Thailand is, is under 5,000. So we're, we can't even get the 500 in from next week or whatever it is. So this is just, I don't know. It's just, not, yeah, there's not just, I, I actually am, I'm, I'm going to see, I want to see what the official clarification of who does have that 5,000 mm. capacity. It's, it's basically very few. And, and those teams are already subject to, uh, 
to the test events, you know, already, if you know what I mean, like Shamrock Rovers and, and Cork. Like now, I, I did get the sense that for the European games, it feels like they're going to be identified as, um, I'd imagine, I think the dock has potential to be complicated just because of the facility. Bows are obviously going to the Aviva. Um, but I'd imagine, you know, for Shamrock Rovers, Bratislava and the Sligo Rovers game, I'd be surprised if they didn't get good. Uh, they weren't given the sort of scope to have good tenancies at those games. Um, but it is, I mean, um, I don't know. I don't. I, I think people probably want a bit of escapism from the doom and gloom. Like I watched that amazing night of football on Monday night. And the best thing I ever did was go to bed before the latest updates of Cabinet COVID Committee started leaking out to bring me on a downer. And yeah. we don't need that. But it is obviously a serious matter. So the, the, but the, the one thing I would say is, and it's the problem that you probably don't get clubs jumping up and down around this. Uh, and we have to be conscious of it. And not to be conscious of, I think it's an explanation of it. Like the 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 supports from the the, the government wage scheme, you know, the, the sort of the, the the wage supports. The fact that they're continuing almost to the end of the season at this stage is a massive boost for the clubs in this. Massive, league. Like, you know, massive. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's it's keep showing the road, and and as a result, and even like you know, you saw last year. I mean, like Sligo Rovers were, were at one point probably very unhappy about the game resume and they ended up returning a, a profit for the year. And clubs at the moment, like it's a big frustration of mine, is that... But they're getting you know, very they, cushy they, about this. This is basically borrowed money from the government. That The, go- the government are obviously borrowing themselves. But it's not, borrow, yeah, but borrow, I know. But, but let me there. finish my point. Let me finish my point. But like, I, I guess what I'm saying is that like, you, you, the reason there's not anger on the ground is because ultimately like, the clubs have been reasonably well protected for once, you would say, in the last 12 months or so by government or whatever. You know, like that... Like they even what would annoy me? Like I mean, these head-to-heads with the Euros are, are maddening, you know. Mm. And obviously, listen, some of it was out of their control completely. Um, but there's obviously you know ways and means of working around this stuff. Like you know, I, I was speaking to someone about this yesterday. I mean, like on Friday you're going to have Italy, Belgium, and I know there's a complacency there because clubs aren't worried about getting fans in the gate, you know. So it's not really like something that they're angry about because. They're, they're oversubscribed for their 200 or 100 or whatever yeah. their threshold is, or their 1,000. And this, but, but obviously, in the, in the context of LOITV and the streams, like it's almost confirming its status as something for the hardcore. Like, how many random streams are you going to sell for Shamrock Rovers and Dock when Italy, Belgium is on RTE? Like, it's just not going to happen. So, it's becoming a service for the committed. And maybe that would always be the way, right? But, like, when you have a situation where you can play the games on Thursday night this week, now, I don't think it's going to be a massive issue. Yes, you have an issue maybe with some part-time players in the league and stuff. But like Shamrock Rovers, Dundalk, you know, Bowes, Pats, Dublin Derby, Thursday evening. Okay, it's not getting you more people on the gate because you don't have that option. But it's probably getting you a bit more oxygen in terms of publicity and coverage. Well, and who knows yeah. in terms of streaming. And also, like, the fact that the clubs are, some of those clubs are playing in Europe next week. It's an extra day's preparation. You know, an extra day's rest. So, on a number of levels, I don't think that would inconvenience people. Now, I'm sure there's logistical reasons I'm missing that would make it awkward. Maybe they wanted consistency and certainty, even for booking, you know, streaming commentators and characters. So, so the decision was made a week's back and it couldn't be changed. Um, but it's a bit of a frustration. But the point is, people aren't normally people would be jumping up and down and going mad about it. Where it's because they've been incredibly well protected by these government supports, which is complete, very much reducing the costs for clubs this season. Um, well, you know, that obviously, I, I think I'm on a slight tangent, but if, if the LOI TV numbers end up being particularly bad, I think there was obviously um, 
they haven't necessarily given it the best chance to succeed, we should say. But the, the suggestion seems to be that they want to keep LOI TV in some shape or form going forward, which would be good news for exiles and people who want to watch their team play away from home and something like that. So th- th- there are aspects to it. But, um, but anyway, before we go to Conor O'Grady, we will do this week's four-star pizza quiz, we should say. Um, last week's winner, I think, was Graydon, was it? I mean, sort of a mysteri- mysteri- sort of mysterious uh, sort of uh, one name character like Prince or something, you know, Seal. Prince Musum Gulma. Yeah, I had to, I had to well, send that'd uh, be two, the... That'd be three. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, had to, I had to send the, the previous award to um, a, an abbreviated name as well because just the Twitter name doesn't actually... Something like something fits or something. But um, anyway, what's this week's question? Well, because we've got Conor O'Grady coming on, it's a Sligo Rovers team question. And he was around the... You know, he was he was with Sligo Rovers when they won the FEI Cup in 2010. Um. That was the famous, the first FEI Cup final at the Aviva Stadium. Penalty shootout. Sligo Rovers won the penalty shootout 2-0. Kieran Kelly was the hero. But the question is, um, can people give us the names of the two players that scored penalties for Sligo Rovers? So we need both of those names. Um, the usual Twitter competition theme, if you can uh, send us a message at at LOI Central pod or hashtag LOI Central uh, with your two answers of the, the Sligo Rovers penalty goal scorers in the 2010 Cup final. Let's get to the Sligo Rovers head of academy, Connor O'Grady. And Connor O'Grady's timing is pretty impeccable because, Connor, um, you're obviously the head of the Sligo Rovers academy, but um, as a former Sligo Rovers player uh, at underage, Seamus Kyo, who's just signed for the club. So good timing to have you on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're delighted to have him signed. Um... He's obviously been in training with us for a couple of weeks and we know him very well. He was here before he left for Southampton and um, I actually know him very, very well. I, I was in the emerging talent with that group. We brought him to the Kennedy Cup um, uh, back back a few years ago and uh, yeah, he's a great lad, great family and you know he obviously went over and it didn't work out for him when he's back. He's only 19, he still has a long career ahead of him so we're delighted to have him back and delighted to have him here and I think it's important that you know, lads like that, that they know that they're always welcome back here when they leave us, that if it doesn't work out across the water, that, you know, we're only too delighted to have them back. Yeah, Connor, I would have watched Seamus play for the under-17s when the European Championships were held here in Ireland. Like, he's a, he's a t- talented player. Like, he is, I mean, for people who are listening and maybe aren't aware of him, like, he's, he's sort of got a lot of positive attributes, doesn't he? He does. He's, look, I suppose, growing, growing up in this region, he was... You know he was the best player in the in the region by a country mile, and then obviously he progressed through uh, under fifteen, and as you said under sixteen, and then he was captain under seventeen, and um, and obviously then there was interest when he was here playing with our under seventeen to go across the water. He had a couple of clubs after him, and he settled on Southampton, and and, and as I said, it didn't work out. But yeah, he's a top top player. He's 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 one of the best we've produced uh, from here in the last couple of years, and uh, as I said, look, it's one of those things. It didn't work. It didn't work out from across the water. He got injured and. Then he went even back last uh, last January. He got he got COVID and, and and all that kind of sort of stuff. So things didn't go didn't go in his favor. But you know, as I said to him, his career is only starting. You know, he's he's only nineteen, and um, he's still got a long long career ahead of him. And I think you know he's signing for the club. He's signing back for a club that he knows. He feels comfortable in the place, comfortable in the environment. Um, he knows a lot of the players. He's back home, I suppose, which helps. I'm sure he's, his parents are glad to have him back. And uh, as I said, we're delighted to have him back. And, you know, he adds he, he adds quality to our squad, our first team squad and competition, which, you know, we, which, you know, we, we need at the moment and every every squad needs. 
This is just um, reading. Go ahead. Sorry, Johnny, sorry, yeah. sorry, just reading the press release. Um, even announcing Seamus, you know, last weekend the six academy graduates started the four 0 win over Bohemians, while nine were in the match day squad. Like it's a really impressive aspect of of the season you're having over there, and it must be really satisfying in your role. Um, probably on twofold. One to see players just going out and doing it and enjoying it and doing things like Johnny Kenny was doing last weekend. But I suppose secondly, it must be great for like advertising what you're offering to kids and to parents to be able to actually show that pathway there that does actually exist. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I, I know you've said it last night or this, the Bowes game, the 4-0 was the six and, and, and the three on the bench. But like this has been a, a few years in, in the making. It, it didn't happen just last weekend. It's been... It's been obviously the big thing has been the introduction of the leagues down in this area. You know, I don't think the people outside Dublin realise how important the national league is for the rural areas, especially a club like us, for lads to be playing. Um, you know, the top teams week in week out. So lads would have probably maybe had two or three tough games a year down here, and um, maybe regionalised with a kind of cup final or whatever it may be. But now the lads week in week out of tough games from under fifteen under 17, under 19, under 14, obviously, as well. So it's it's been a huge, huge help for us. Also, we've had great coaches here the last couple of years. We've been blessed with the coaches we've had. You know, at the moment, we've Declan Boyle with the 19s, Ryan Casey with the 17s, Paul Masterson uh, with the 15s, Alan Farry with the 14s, and we've had Danny O'Leary, who's just gone on and left us, going as the FAI high-performance coach, Brian Dorian as well, who's been here as, as well. So we've been very lucky in that way, and we've been very lucky that managers have put faith in them and put them in and give them a chance, you know. So, yeah, it's, it's looks, it's, it's, it looks great at the moment. As you said, it's people want to come here and play now, you know. Young people want to come here and play. And the, the, the introduction of the underage league as well as, as opening up this club to the whole of Connacht, really. Like, we've last travelled from Westport. Now, more than obviously Leitrim, you know, Yved, Valley Shannon. You know, we've just we've we've it's it's opened up. The, we're a regional club now, which we probably weren't before the the underage. Even though we would have had a support base around the, around the region, mm. the whole thing has opened up now with the with the introduction of the underage league for us, and it, it's 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 been brilliant. It's been brilliant for us as coaches as well to go up and play Shamrock Rovers and to go and play Bows and to go and play whoever. You know that, as I said, we we're pitting our, pitting ourselves against the best in the country, but we're also producing really good players at the moment. And 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 look, it's all about. Our three, our three H's are humble, honest, and hardworking. And if we have the lads coming to the gate have talent, that's no doubt. But if they have that, them attributes as well, you know they'll be okay. And what we have as well is obviously good players. We've great lads as well. Like we said, Johnny Kenny, obviously, you know, steeped in Sligo Rovers, and you know, you look at Kyo sign as well, regular at the showgrounds. I'm just, I'm just wondering, right? So Sligo footballers last weekend were absolutely hockeyed by Mayo. Don't really have a hurling team. I presume rugby isn't that strong in Sligo, right? So I'm just wondering. You look at teams in the Euros, and the problem for Ireland, presumably, is that we've so many sports. If you look at Sligo, Sligo, and to a lesser extent, maybe Derry City, because there's a little bit of GA maybe in Derry City. But if we concentrated on this sports, maybe more so than other sports, is this an example? Because it's phenomenal the amount of players you're bringing through in Sligo. Um, look, I, well, we are a unique island for, for that reason, as you said, to have to have so many, how many, so many sports. It hinders us in so many ways. But I don't know. I think it's good for good for kids to be playing as many sports as possible. And personally, yeah. Uh, I've a young fella seven and young fella three, and they're playing. I've them playing everything and, and and let them play everything. It's it's great for them. Right, but I, 
Well, he's not playing much, obviously. He's kicking the ball a bit. He's, he's, he's wrecking the house. That's about it. No, but the seven-year-old is Gaelic soccer, uh, you know, a bit of tennis, swimming, whatever it is. It's just, uh, you know, it's... Uh, but at some stage, Connor, you have to focus. Do you know what I mean? Like Sligo Rovers, oh. it's, Sligo's a proper, proper football town. Not many like that exist in Ireland. Yeah, but I think in the last, I think what's helped this year is that we're being su- successful. You know, I think when it's success, we've been bringing underage players the last. We've three underage players at UCD at the moment: Kerrigan, Liam Kerrigan, Jack, um, Keeney, and uh, Paul uh, Doyle, who've come through our underage system. You know, we've Mikey Place at Galway. We've a couple of lads down at Ballinamallard. It, it's not just it's not just this year. This has happened. This is you know my point. You know, obviously Ed and John have been there. For a while, I think probably Johnny being a striker coming through was really highlighted, and you know it, it, I, the strikers probably always get the get the headlines, you know. But like we've Regan Donlan there playing left back, he's been eight years with the first team. He came through the underage system. Gary Boylan's at Galway United. I could, you know, there's a lot of fellas around the place that have come through the underage system that um, and the academy here. So it's it's not something that has happened this season. I think that's and I look again as well, lads. It's the it's the work that's been done at the clubs before to come in here. Like we're getting them at 13, 14. There's been a lot of brilliant work done at the clubs and we're very lucky here that we have a great relationship with the league. Like I know a lot of clubs have huge difficulties with the, with their leagues and there's infighting and politics but because the people around here love the club so much um, when a player comes to, to join us nine times out of ten they're probably presented, presented with something leaving to go to the club and there's a big thing made on social media they're leaving to come here so it's we're we're being helped on a lot of fronts, really, you know. Um, but as you said, look, it's it's soccer mad. It, it, it always has been. But we've a great following in the rural areas as well. I I think it's all over. We've a great following. But at the moment, everything is going well. We've obviously have an extra ladies team this year under nineteen as well, and we're hoping to have a senior team down the road. Hopefully next year, we've got a great link up with the IT. Like Killian Heaney, who's with the first team, is obviously on an IT scholarship. And um, Niall Morhan is on an IT scholarship. That's a huge thing that we have. It's a great buy-in for the parents as well when they're when when you're when you're taking their kid in that you know the, a lot of them obviously want to keep their education going and um yeah that's something we want to we want to try and do as well but yeah I think I, I hear what you're saying Johnny if we concentrate on one we'd probably be number one in the world but I think the only one we're number one in the world is is horse racing I'm afraid okay <laughs> <laughs> uh, just 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 on Connor you, you referenced how the, the, the underage leagues have been massive, um, you know, in the rural areas. And we had Kevin McHugh on earlier this year, and he spoke sort of passionately on that topic. And I think I think it's to, you know stimulated a debate locally in, in Donegal around this or that or whatever. And I'm guessing, like from afar, like I was at the event last week where, where Will Clark like presented as the new for people who aren't familiar, he's the new League of Ireland Academy coordinator in the FAI, and he was presenting you know facts and figures on the situation in Ireland and. Speaking to Shane Robinson there, who's in Dublin, there's a lot of still a lot of frustration on the ground, resistance. You know, there's different things happening at underage level with the Dublin District Schoolboys League and stuff. Like, do you feel that that dominates the debate around the underage league sometimes? That there's a Dublin centric focus to it sometimes? Because listen, it is a mess over here in some respects, a lot of tensions, but it, does it take away from what it's succeeding and, and achieving in outside of Dublin? Well, to be honest, we don't, for us in here, we don't, I'm not worried about what's going on anywhere else. I understand what you're saying. We've just got to concentrate on what we have here and, and try and build it as best we can. And I can only speak on what it's doing for the young fellas down in this region yeah. and the girls down in this region. But I understand if we could be all on the same hymn sheet, it would it would obviously help. Will has been 
has obviously come in and you know there's that connection communication which has been lacking for the last couple of years which has improved uh, you know 100% from his introduction so things like that I think it'll take time um, you know I think we all have to start pulling 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 in the one direction this you know people pulling all different directions isn't going to help um, but like I'm just trying to organise organize this ship I can't be worrying about any other, other ships because No I get that I understand that I understand that. I, I guess what I'm saying though as well that like there's a debate, you know, there's a broader debate around are these on rights, you know, like, you know, should we be looking at a national academy? Should we be looking at four regional academies and all this? Whereas actually you as a club are doing things, you're showing what can be done, I guess, to some degree. Yeah. But for me, for me at the moment, yeah. I, th- I like, I think under 14 is young enough. I wouldn't be going any younger. Okay. Um, right. I, w- I wasn't a fan of the under 13s. I think let them play, you know, leave them at their club. Now I, I understand the debate of getting them in and, and, and trying to get them get them involved. And if you've got elite players, I, I can understand. And maybe that's down the road that we have to look at doing something. You know, I'd love I'd love to have a, an academy here on a on a you know down the road where we would have elite players into maybe 12, 13, and not have a summer camp feel to it, maybe if you know what I mean. Yeah. Or, um but that's 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 like we're still in infancy. This really, like you know, I was I was four years managing under fifteen. So under fifteen is only four years in, in existence. Up to I took this job on a full time basis. So, you know, we're still very much in infancy. I think, as I said, um, the leagues. I can only speak on the leagues. How 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 important they have been for 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 the clubs in this area and and how good they've been. Can we make them better? Of course we can. Can we improve stuff? Of course we can. You know, we need linesmen at games. You know, you know, we need better facilities when we go and play games. You know, and uh, you know, I think where we where we need a lot a lot of we need more full time staff in academies. You know, people. Like, yes. For, yeah. For example, Kevin, for who I'd be in contact with, a good, but Kevin has a full time job. You know, and I, you know, and he's he's heading up an academy as well. He's got family. I was working as a rep for. It? Sorry. Who pays for it? That's the, that's a good question, Johnny, isn't it? The government are talking about getting behind it and all this sort of stuff. But that's that's. But I think clubs have to. We're very lucky here. Our club values the academy. I don't think a lot of clubs value the academy. Mm. Um, I think it's just ticking a box. It's ticking a license box, maybe. Um, and uh, where clubs have to start valuing their academies and realizing that if you're going to be successful, you need you need academy players. You know, and, and financially it helps as well if you have a player coming through from under 15 or 17 or 19 to the first team. You know. We were, and we've been guilty of it here. We're we're too quick to go across the water looking for a lad coming from Bristol Rovers or Akron Stanley or wherever it may be. When we've got lads here that you know want to play for the club, love the club, have a feeling for the club, their family probably have a feeling for the club, and no, obviously they have to be good enough. You know, there's no, it's no sentiment. It has that the, the mm. lads have to be good enough to come through. But um, yeah, I think um, you know we need we need. I think the clubs need to focus more, and I think it has improved, but. I think there is clubs still probably just ticking the box. Like the like Will did pre- present some stats last week, which people may not be aware of, but they're quite sort of stark in a way. So he did a survey of the League of Ireland Academy system coaching structure. And this is approximate. So obviously like, but there's estimated there's around 252 coaches working within that sphere. And 169 of them are volunteers, mm. i.e. they're not being paid at all. I think it was 83 paid expense. So bit of travel expenses or whatever you know pocket money and six full-time academy directors Connor you'd be one of the six actual full-time employees I mean that is like and, and there was a comparison with other countries which I thought was striking that you know in terms of how many average staff 
you know, what might they have per club? And like in, in places even like Estonia and, and Moldova, you're up double figures, which is yeah. sort of unbelievable, really. And like, I, I guess, Connor, over time, that catches up with you. Like if you're, if you're relying on people, volunteers, how can you, how can you deliver the best service? You can't, and that's and we've been doing that here because we've just got great people, and it's and but it can't go on. I agree with you, and I, I go back to I don't think it's been taken serious enough. The academies aren't being taken serious enough at clubs because if they were, more people would be in full time roles, and again, as probably Johnny mentioned there, it goes back to the financial side of it, um, and also look the criteria for coaches now is is off the charts. Like as you said, they're all volunteers, but they're expected to have. A licenses and elite U A licenses and elite U B licenses and uh, you know cost money cost money to do that cost money and, and and every course is either in Dublin or Cork. There's no courses in Sligo or Galway. You know very rarely and you know we need to see more courses and I think that will come. I think there is a there there is a genuine um, interest now with the coach education that they are going to try and bring around the country with these high performance lads coming in that they're going to have to start educating people in areas because you can't expect lads as you said, to financially, you know, be out of pocket and then be traveling to Dublin or Cork to stay in a, stay in a hotel for four or five times or four or five nights, four times over that maybe year, year and a half to finish mm. a course. And, and and then the family, the family aspect of as well, the pressures from family and work as well, you know, are, are huge as well. I, I know from my own experience doing it here for four years before coming full time, it's, 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 uh, it's not easy. It's not easy. And I know a lot of lads are doing that around the country and, you know, I suppose my dream here would be that we'd have, and I said it in my interview, would be a full-time academy, that we would have a full-time academy eventually. And I still think, why not? That's what we have to aim for. If we don't aim for the stars, you know, we won't reach them. So I think that's what we have to. And I think every club has to try and get on the same page. Well, if, if you were to kind of um, go to government and go to even politicians locally, but do this on a national level, what do you tell the government? Because like there isn't really a great benefit for, for the state if like loads of people are going over on planes to England to watch English football teams every Saturday or we're exporting all our kids. Whereas surely if you're setting up full-time positions and grants for academies across 20 clubs in the Republic and 22 clubs in the Republic, you're creating jobs, you're bringing money into the local economy, a lot of it in rural Ireland. And presumably sport is just such a beneficial thing for young people anyway in an era when, you know, a lot of kids m- might might be doing other things other than sport. It just seems a bit of a no-brainer, but I don't know, have we, we've, we've, we've had so many years in this country where it seems to just be taken as granted that we just export our footballers and it doesn't really matter. Like, when you have positions of, like, kids going to, from Galway to play for Belvedere and stuff like that every week, um, I, I, it just seems a no-brainer to me if we could get the government on board. And it's money that, like, you look at horse racing and the greyhound industry, the money that the horse racing industry will always come back and say, yeah, the money's invested, but you're getting an awful lot out of that. But surely football can do the same. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think probably we're, and we may suffer for another few years after, you know, with, with what happened in the FEI over the last number of years. But, yeah, I think as well as as well as that, we're going to have to export players to 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 keep our academies going. You know, yeah, we'll yeah, absolutely, yeah. We're probably we're, we're probably other than Shamrock Rovers, there's damn old clubs. Maybe Bows are doing it, doing it, and um, but we're you know we haven't been doing it enough as 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 clubs. And um, like you know, we saleable assets, and we we probably need to, some of them. We're going to have to sell if you know that will keep the academy going. And um, on the, I think the big thing you said there is that it's how important the sport is to young people. You know, and that's that's got to be one of the, the the main reasons, as you said. You know, they've had a tough tough year, year and a half, and you know, if 
the, the people you know outside can see how important the, the football is to these kids and how how much it, how much it means to them and how important it is for them to play for the club and that and what we're trying to do that we're trying to do the right things we might get everything right but we 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 we'll try try to do try to do it the right way um and you know there's a lot of money being wasted and you know these kids um deserve deserve a chance and deserve a better chance and as as coaches deserve it as well this is it's slightly getting away from the point you mentioned you have a 3 year old right and how how like how early is too early to get him understanding the basics of football? Because like I'm just looking at the way Ukraine play last night, for example, and looking at other teams in Europe who just pass the ball a lot quicker than we seem to be able to as a nation. And I Stephen Kenny always says we're not technically inferior, but like why can't we why can't we do things that other countries do? And is it that our players are not doing the right things? at a very early age or like what's your take on that? Are, are you already getting your three-year-old to play left and right and to head the ball? And I, I mean that like. No, I'm not. I'm right. just trying to get him to sleep tonight. I'd be happy when I'm sleeping right. tonight. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's a great question, Johnny. Look, I suppose uh, for me personally, there's in the country now, it's completely over-coaching. It's, co- right. the, 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 it's destroyed with coaching. And, that's, and this is a personal point of view. Um, we're, we're for me we're taking we're taking away the inst- instinct of the kids a lot of the time the natural instinct of the kid has been taken away you know to your job is to do this to do that if you've got a winger for example and he's good at going by people don't stop and do let him go by people you know mm-hmm. you know don't be telling him that he has to go inside or you know it's very very gone too structured you need structure don't get me wrong but you know you you go down watch sessions sometimes and you think people there's a, you know you heard the old one there's a plane going to land on the, on the, on the pitch. There's that many cones down. We don't do enough of the basics for me. Don't do enough of the basics, as you said, right foot, left foot. Um, you know, we'd be drilling, drilling that, drilling it into them here. The basics, the basics, the basics. You know, especially at the younger age. Um, and I think even from the club level, if we could get that um, more in a club level when they're six, seven, eight, just the basics. You know, we've lads coming in at times that can't head the ball. <laughs> you know, they're playing football and they can't head the ball because they've got the club. They've never headed the ball. And I think we got obsessed in this country with playing out from the back and pl- trying to mm. play like Barcelona, and um, which is great. But I, don't, I think we forgot about the other half of the pitch. And if you look at this country now, you know, other than Johnny Kenny, name a, name a centre forward in, in, the, in the league, you know, Pat Hoban, Hoban maybe or whatever. But like when I was playing, you had Jason Byrne, Glenn Crow, you know, you had John O'Flynn, you had Annie Mountain, you know, there's seven or eight, there was a striker at each club. But I think, um, you know, we got obsessed with other countries and what other countries were doing, and, and we, you know, stopped looking at what we were good at and what we can do. And obviously, we can improve technically, but you know, um, I just think back, keep the basics as, as, as much as possible. Get back to the basics. We get the basics into them at a young age, and then um, left foot, right foot, as you said, and then the understanding of the game that the coaching can come and uh, as as it goes. And um, but I don't. I think the. I think at the moment for me, there's there's over coaching, and it's. Um, you know, lads are, 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 are bamboozling young fellas, I think. Mm. It's interesting. I mean, um, I, I know you said there that the strikers got all the attention, which is true. And I, that, I spoke, spoken as a former midfielder. Yeah, I am now, I am now going to ask you a question about Johnny Kenny. But the one thing that's striking about Johnny Kenny from seeing him even the first game of the season against them, Doc, is it seems like the lack of fear, you know, like in terms of even, I was speaking to people who played against him even and just, you know, he has a bit of a sort of, character about him as well and mm. I wonder with some with some stuff like that like you know you can coach things but do you always still rely on just a certain natural absolutely you know, you know natural sort of attributes that some lads just have 
Yeah, like I, I think people can go over the top now about our academy and how many pe- players were producing all this. Like Johnny Kenny was was talented lad before he came here. Niall Moran was a talented lad before he came here. Like they were in two of the Ken- Johnny Kenny was in the first Sligo team that got to the Kennedy Cup final. Niall Moran was in the Kennedy Cup team that finished fifth or sixth. So, you know, I pe- people can get like we are doing great work with them here, but people can get a bit bamboozled by all the. You know, as you said, Johnny was a talented lad, very talented lad, off both sides. You know, Johnny's only problem was, and we have a picture of him here under 15, Johnny was tiny until about two years ago. Johnny only grew in the last two years, you know, really uh, popped up. Uh, John Mann was, I remember hearing about John Mann when he was nine or ten. So these lads didn't come in here and we made them, you know, what, what they are. I think what we've what we've given them here is a great opportunity. What we, We're honest, we're real with them. Um, but the talent is there. As I always say, that nine, 99% of the lads come to the gate of talent, but have they got the, the values, the honest, the humble, the hard work? And, you know, are the good people? Are, are they going to work hard? Are they honest? You know, are they going to live their life right? You know, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, good values. That's that's what we're big into. It's, you know, it's, 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 it's not just about the football that we try and instill in them, but, you know, these lads come in, are, are, they're, they're really talented lads coming here. Um, like Seamus was when he came here underage, um, Seamus was really talented. So they're all they're all in that boat. It's just we're trying to make them make them better, um, improve them uh, when they come in. And then the other the big thing is the managers giving them the chance. The managers believing them, believing in them, and that's been great over the last couple of years. Jerry Little, Dave Robertson, whoever they've been, they've thrown lads in. Liam obviously as well, and that's that's a huge factor in it. Just just on, I mean, you mentioned there, and and the reality is that you, you do have to, to sell one or two of these players like to, to make the world go round. Like you look at these UEFA reports sometimes and where income comes from and then in the Balkans, like Croatia and places like this, like something like 80% of their income comes from player sales. Like it's sort of unbelievable. And over here, it's 80% of income from gate attendances. You know, it's a sort of a, di- a different world. Um, but I guess the, 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 the constant battle with that is getting respect um, that generates proper transfer fees like this this Seamus Coleman chant that everyone does all the time is like you know 60 grand 60 grand is like almost it's almost taunting people in a way although I know he's paid the club back and in, in, in many other ways so so what about that challenge because I spoke to Shane Robinson about it last week Gavin Bazuna was like something that they're that's their poster boy now in terms yeah. of you know they sold him to Man City and now they can look maybe that can help them leveraging looking in future what about from- I think he's our I think he's our poster boy. I think he's every club's poster boy now. I think, uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. I think absolutely. I think and probably going back to Seamus, I think desperation from clubs at the time, you know, you know, money was probably badly needed. And you know, I think club, our club, for example, is is obviously more full-time staff here. You know, it's more obviously more professional, it's a full-time club as well. Um, you know, I was still playing that time with Seamus. I was working, so it wouldn't have been as as, as professional mm-hmm. as it is now. But I think Pizuno is the, is the is the poster boy for all our clubs, and I think you know, I think from now on, it's 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 you know, we have to you know bring up our standard of price. Uh, our negotiation skills have to be better. You know, we just can't. You know, there was a time when lads would go over to cross the water for a game and a friendly. You know, and um, yeah, you come over for friendly. Them days are over, as you said. We have to get like the Croatians. And um, you know when 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 negotiations are are on the table, we need to make as much as we can, you know. And that's and you know some some sometimes it'll be difficult enough. It may have to be on sell-ons or whatever else. But um, I think it's going to be a huge factor for clubs going forward. And I and again, I think it goes back to this underage league. I think the underage league has has improved that and helped that and probably gave us more of a platform for 
for for uh, selling players on and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I think it's it, it's it's huge, and I think I think that Shamrock Rovers one was a massive turning point for the academies over here. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Like Will Clark was speaking last week about potentially like certifying the academies. Like, is that something you would welcome in the sense that we? I think you spoke there about some clubs take it more seriously than others. You know, and I think I think even when it comes to issues of funding that's potentially one of the problems. It's hard for you to say it as someone that's in it, but I can say my personal opinion that, you know, spreading things 20 ways could be complicated if some clubs are not doing as much as others. Grading of academies in some way to reflect the ones that are putting more into it. Would you welcome something like that? You know, some kind of criteria on it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I think, again, it's going to, it's not something that, you know, every club is at such a different level and, um, yeah, yeah, it's something you really they'd want to be they'd want to be a lot of consultation on it with clubs. So yeah, you know, it's 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 a hard one. I I I agree with Will on where he's coming from, um, but I think consultation would be a big one on it that we'd have to sit down and look that would happen. But like you take for example, um, you know, some of the clubs that are are, are part time, they've no full time staff, as you said, they're volunteers. Um, you know, I I think what we need to have that is that it's all one club but we do need that separation from academy to first team and some clubs there isn't that separation mm. so when the money goes into the black hole it's 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 not seen again you know so um that's it's it is something that needs to come down the road it's the same with it's look it's the same with it, it agents in the country they need we need we need some sort of regulation on agents in, the, in this country as well it's it's not all it's something that needs to come in um Quite definitely so. you know. are you seeing Sorry? plenty of that are you seeing plenty of that sort of activity Around your players, no comment. That's <laughs> yeah, probably think no comment is no comment said. is yes. Yeah, yeah people wouldn't have like an that, idea that. about like. Well, that's an, sorry. The other one. People wouldn't have an idea about that. Like, um, you know, actually, uh, there was there was a person asked me about a going out player the other day, and I didn't know that he'd kind of gone down that route as well. And it's like, yeah, it's just something I don't think about. I'm sure a lot of people don't. Yeah, it's it's. I I suppose it's uh, it's something that we just need to. Uh, you know, tighten up on and and I'm not look. There's there's great people out there that are doing it, um, but uh, there's some people we don't know. And I've been inundated with calls from people I don't know, never heard of. Um, not that I, I want to know everyone, or but, um, you know, I'm LinkedIn as well. I message probably every day on LinkedIn from 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 people looking that talk to me about different people, and it's just it's 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 nonstop. But I suppose that's the business. I understand that, but you know, there's some things that. Thing. As long as they're not contacting the players, it's, it's it's not too bad of a thing. But I know there is people contacting players directly, probably without contacting clubs, which isn't right. Liam Buckley's role at Sligo Rovers. How would you discuss it so far? I think it's been brilliant, hasn't it? You <laughs> see, in fairness, it's probably it's took him a, probably the three seasons to build a team. But you know, Europe last year, top of the table, and um, you know, joined top of the table. Uh, you know. Good players, good squad. You know, you couldn't argue with it. Um, I'm very lucky to have a great relationship with him. Office next door to him, very open platform with him. Um, you know, very approachable. Um, obviously, I knew of him, but I didn't know him before this. And uh, yeah, it's been. It's. He's. I think he's. I think it's been great. And it's not me. I think me just be playing the, the with the Sly Rovers hat on me. But I think yeah. Look, if we were told that we'd have Europe after a second year and, and after the third year, we'd be. Joint top of the table with a lot of good. He's brought in a lot of good players. I think the recruitment has been very, very good this year, especially. And uh, obviously, the young players have helped as well that have, that have come through. Obviously, Johnny being the standout one so far. But we've Killian Heaney, Peter Maguire, 
Sean McAteer, Caelan Barlow, a lot of lads, you know, banging on the door there and, and obviously Seamus coming back as well. But yeah, I think everyone's delighted with how it's going so far. If we could get through around the Europe, it'd be brilliant or two, it'd be brilliant. So um and hopefully we can put in keeping keeping the title race with the the big boy Shams. And I knew you'd get that in. Just finally as well, a bit of insecurity here. Galway, County Galway's population roughly four times that of Sligo. Last time Galway United won anything, and the only time won anything, was 30 years ago in the FAI yeah. Cup. What do you put it down to? Like, how can you be so good at this and everyone in Galway thinking, what are we doing wrong here? For, for the, we've achieved nothing, like literally nothing apart from a cup win. And look at Sligo Rovers, what they're doing. Yeah, well, look, I suppose other sports is a big problem in Galway. Um, I think the other major issue probably is there's probably a lot of p- politics up there. As I spoke about earlier, that we're very lucky here. We have great relationships with the, with the with the clubs around. The clubs around want their kids to play for Sligo Rovers, um, and probably that isn't the case. Probably in 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 Galway, they don't want them to play for Galway United. And there's probably a lot of other stuff that I don't know about as well. Um, but yeah, they should be they should be they should be far stronger than than they are. And, and I'd love to see them go up and be in be in the Premier Division. It'd be great for Connacht that if, if they were the wear up. And I know Johnny Glynn has put in a lot of work there. Obviously, I played with Johnny Caulfield at Cork and. Um, I'd love to see uh, Galway, Galway get up and, and, and be in the Premier Division because that's where they should be. But I think other sports is probably a major issue, Johnny. You know, strong. Obviously, Connacht is huge with the rugby in the last couple of years and the hurling and Gaelic is a lot stronger than it is here. And um, yeah, it's, it's probably it. But I think the city has got, you've got Merv, you saw till Devon. Too you know, many good clubs of, as well. Ah, well, there's a lot of them here too. <laughs> yeah, to be fair, that is. Connor, it's been brilliant having you on. Hopefully we might yeah. get a pint of you in one of those, uh, one of those fine Sligo um, establishments in the next, uh, I don't know, in the next whenever, actually. I'm not going to predict anything on this anymore. It's been brilliant yeah, having you on. No problem. Dan, it's European time again. Uh, chiefly Shamrock Rovers going to Bratislava next week, um, which is going to be fascinating. Yeah, like, I'm not sure what... what... What they expect, like I think Rovers and Bratislava watched in preseason friendlies. Like the Bratislava are starting their season, but they obviously are a very well resourced club, so they can they can do a pretty extensive preseason. Um, but they they've been caught at this round before. They were beaten by uh, Sajetska, the, the 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 team Montenegro a couple of years back. They mm. didn't feel I think bet, and then last year they were done by COVID, weren't they? So that's sort of what actually had a sort of indirect role in uh, Dundalk's sort of passage to the group stages so um yeah it's sort of hard to know really what to what to expect from it but you're expecting them to be a good side but i think the one thing i'd say about robbers why i think they, they, they still have a chance of doing okay in europe is that into their way of playing and they know how to play and they will try at times this season they've actually gone a bit direct in certain games with two, yeah. two up front but they obviously have the players that easily adapt to play in a particular way in europe so i can see them being very competitive in the tie um but it is one where the away goals rule is gone now as well, which is a big Indeed. thing you need to think about with it in games this year. So it's not a case of like two one defeat over there or something is like they're they're you know they they actually are, are somehow mentally ahead. And um, it's not the case. So it's just 180 minutes of football and that's it. So um, we shall see. I mean, we will we'll, we'll pour over it next week. But of course, before then we have like um, what a round of fixtures, big round of fixtures in both divisions. So. Let's fly through it and see Bro, what stands Saint out for Pats, you um, I'm going to be at that game Friday, obviously. Um, 
that's going to be very, very interesting. Bold but bidding to bounce back. Interesting enough as well. They've lost both their games against LIGO this season. Um, 7-1 on aggregate, actually. And they've lost both their games against Pats. Derry City against Waterford. Um, Derry City making signings, obviously, this week as well. Draw to Finn Harps. Finn Harps um, really, really struggling in the second series of games. And also on, on Friday night, well, Shamrock Rovers Dundalk. Uh, what, a, what a belter that would be Longford-Sligo on Saturday. Longford, um, obviously, desperately needing a win in something of a local derby. Rovers Dundalk, Dan. I mean, what anything could happen there. Yeah, and I think Dundalk were okay against Derry City last week. Mm. It sounds pretty encouraging. So, listen, it's early days under Vinny, but I, I think that was a positive step. And obviously, the, the emotion of Chris Shields' departure... You know, that maybe that was a factor in some shape or form. Um, and obviously Will Patching is gonna be fascinating now to see where he where he slots back in. But um it was it was a it was a big step forward from them and like you still look at the dog bench some weeks and the players they can bring on, you think, yeah, I mean, really like they 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 should still be challenging. Um, but it's you would almost feel in a way if they're somehow gonna start off an, an incredible run. They certainly can't lose this game anyway. You know, they certainly can't lose this game. Um, so we'll see about that. First division, and the Longford Sligo on Saturday, as you mentioned, Sligo yeah. on Saturday. So first division, then you've got Bray Co-Bramblers on Friday. We've got Shells, rampant Shells against Cabinteely. Cork City, Treaty United. UCD, Galway United. It's interesting, you're going to be uh, you're going to be the other side of the city, or not the same side of the city, but in a different stadium. We did manage to get a Galway United question in uh, to Conor O'Grady gather information for the people's front. I, I, I appreciate how you work. And then Wexford Utes against Atlone Town. That's also, and that's also uh, on Friday. Honourable so, mention yeah. to Treaty as well. Um, for the hundred or so um, people in the ground last week, um, what an unbelievable atmosphere they created. And there was almost no football play between Treaty and Goy United. It was a real battle. Um, but what an atmosphere. And like, uh, yeah, I'm really, really encouraged by the reaction to Treaty and the, the way that the players are behind the club, the fans are behind the players. And uh, um, I think a lot of these regional clubs could be really kicking on. You look at Sligo, Derry in a good place at the moment, lots of hype in Galway. Um, I think Limerick are definitely on the up. Um, Cork City having a bit of a revival, if nothing else. But uh, yeah, it was encouraging, Dan. I'm just really, really fed up of going to games with people not being allowed in. I know, listen, we've talked about it before. And, and listen, we'll talk about it again, I guess, until it happens. And I mean, again, like even the, the stuff about the 500 capacity, uh, you know, if you're sorry, the 500 being allowed if you have a 5K capacity. Like, I mean, as much as Anton COVID has again highlighted our dreadful infrastructure in this country as well, you can't capitalize on it. And, you know, the, the, that stuff we talked about with Conor O'Grady is quite important in terms of academy infrastructure and full time staff or, or lack of full time staff. And, like, you know, there's so much wrong with our game. And you just hope that this long period has facilitated like it facilitates constructive debate about what needs fixing because it has allowed us to look in the mirror and realize uh, the, the inadequacies that exist. And even a small thing like not being able to get 500 spectators because your stadium has fallen down. Like stadiums that used to have a capacity uh, higher than 5,000, but no longer do because, you know, it's a fire safety hazard or whatever. I mean, really, like in 2021, that, that should not be the case. That was in association uh, with futureticketing.ie. I got to ask you, last question. What was James McLean thinking? I mean, we defend him every week on the radio. No, uh, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. What are you talking about? David Meyer did exactly the same thing, posting up himself in a Germany top. No, it's absolutely harmless. What was he? Harmless, no. harmless. Oh, it's I, I, harmless. Unbelievable. Right, so 
anything that he says now in future in regards to abuse, he that's bullshit. I've seen, I've seen that. Obsolete. I've seen that's absolute. No, if you, I think if you spend your entire life taking abuse and you engage in the odd bit of a wind up, like you didn't add some inflammatory comment with it. I'm sorry, but that's gone down the road as someone said of just blaming, uh, blaming victims, like saying, "Well, you know, you're asking for it going out that way." I mean, no, I'm sorry. It triggered deranged responses from the, the easily triggered, you know. So I. I don't agree with you on that completely. It's a bit of a bizarre end to the show. But anyway, we're out of time, so we're done. We're back next <laughs> week. You're wrong on that. Uh, and let's talk let's talk again. What do you think?